But hey, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 16 this morning. That's where we'll be today, Luke 16. My name is Tyler Holder, and I'm our pastor of men's and college ministry here at Gospel City. And I'm excited to be with you today walking through this amazing parable of Jesus. Now, as you're making your way there, I, I just wonder how many of you have ever committed to do something and then just really failed about a weekend? No, okay, all right, good, praise the Lord, we're, we're in good company, right? Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I decided that we should really commit to doing something different. We should commit to doing something that we would stick to, that we would be devoted to, and we didn't really know what that was until we found this thing, and, and this thing was called Whole30. Y'all know about that? Can we just be honest for a second? Their ketchup is way too expensive, one. Two, I don't really understand what it's all about. So my wife did all this research. She read about it. We did grocery shopping. We bought the $7 ketchup and then we bring it home and we decide today is the day that we will start this next journey, this 30-day journey. And I wanna, I wanna be honest with you. We made it a whole 30 hours before we stopped and then just decided that is not for us, not for our family, not for our clan, right? So we had decided to be devoted to something, but the reality is, is that my devotion to that was, was very lacking. There, there was not a lot of heart behind it. In fact, my devotion to other things superseded my devotion to that. And here in Luke 16, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to intersect our devotion. He, he's going to challenge us and show us what it looks like for disciples to be fully devoted to him. Now, Luke 16 is kind of a, maybe a more difficult parable of Jesus. And remember, a parable is Jesus using stories and pictures from everyday life to show us his heart and his ways. So today in Luke 16, we're gonna see a, a different type of teaching from Jesus. So here's my hope for us today. My hope today is that we'll walk away with this kingdom principle in hand, that faithful disciples devote themselves and their resources to increase God's kingdom. Faithful disciples use their, or devote themselves and their resources to increase God's kingdom. Now, here in Luke 16, Jesus is going to teach this parable differently than he's taught the previous parables. So we're gonna begin this morning by just kind of laying some groundwork, how we should hear and how we should understand this parable. Then we're gonna look at three simple observations and then we're gonna ask a question to help us apply what Jesus will show us in the parable of the dishonest manager. But before we do that, I'd love for you to join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word tells us everything we need for life and godliness. Then in your word, we find wisdom. In your word, we find hope. In your word, we find peace that through you and you alone, Jesus, is the relationship that we need, that we desire, that we must have. So Father, I do pray and ask and seek your face today that you would guide and direct, that you would open up hearts and open up our own eyes to see the sinfulness that we're so adept at pursuing and help us to pursue you. So Lord, we love you. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Now in Luke 16, Jesus is going to approach this parable and teach it a little bit differently. And what he's gonna do here is important for us to grasp before we even look at our text this morning. Jesus is going to teach this parable in a way that has been different than Luke 14 and 15. He's gonna argue from a lesser point of view to a greater point of view. That if you have read Luke 16, then you read the parable of the dishonest manager and you think to yourself, is that what Jesus is telling me to do? 
Is he telling me to lack integrity? Is he telling me to pursue dishonest gain? Is he telling me to be really scandalous and fruitless in my pursuits? No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is doing at all. What he's showing us is he's showing us someone who is a bad example, yet is someone that we can glean good principles from. He's arguing from a lesser to a greater. The lesser perspective is the dishonest manager. The greater perspective is kingdom disciples who have an eternal lens. And how much more should we, if the dishonest manager can do this, how much more should we do likewise? So that's important for us to understand as we open our eyes to this parable. And we begin in Luke 16, verse one. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus is teaching and it says, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management so for you can no longer be my manager. So we see that the audience that Jesus is addressing is different than the audience that we've seen so far. In Luke 14 and 15, what we see is the audience being the Pharisees and the scribes or the crowds, the tax collectors and the sinners. The whole time it's just kind of understood that the disciples who are committed to following Jesus were kind of in the wings. We're watching and, and seeing and hearing what he's doing. Here in Luke 16, he shifts from talking to those outside of the kingdom to talking to those inside the kingdom, talking to his disciples. Now, if you'll recall, we, a few weeks ago, looked at what it meant to be a disciple, and a disciple is simply one committed to following the ways and practices of Jesus by engaging in transformative learning and living. So this parable is directed towards disciples, and here's the truth of the matter, is that there's disciples in this room today. And if Jesus in Luke 16 is addressing disciples in the first century, how much more is he addressing disciples in the 21st century? A disciple, again, is someone who is committed to following the ways and practices of Jesus. So as we read Luke 16, I hope that we'll ask the question, Jesus, what do you desire for me to learn? What do you desire for me to see? How do you desire for me to be transformed? So Jesus gives us the setting of the parable. There is a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So we see the main characters, the rich man and a manager. The word there for charges, by the way, is the word that you and I get the English word diabolical from. Do y'all remember Cruella DeVille? She was great. I always wanted to drive that car. Love Dalmatians, but for a different reason than her, okay? Right? So Cruella DeVille is the epitome of diabolical. And here in Luke 16, what we see is the charges that are brought against this manager are diabolical charges. He's doing dishonest things. He's doing things that you and I should never do in business, should never do in work. He's squandering, he's wasting the rich man's possessions. The rich man calls him to the office and says, yo, I've heard that you're being diabolical. I heard that you're wasting what you've been given. Turn in your account. Essentially, let me audit what you have done. Everybody loves a good audit, right? Let me audit the things that you have done, how you've wasted and used my possessions. And it's with that understanding that we see the first scene in our parable today. It's a scene that shows us an unexpected example. Look at Luke 16, starting in verse three. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 
He said, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. What happens is Jesus gives us a glimpse into the manager's mind. The manager's speaking and talking to himself, realizing and seeing that he's been fired, he's been released from his job, and he sits down and he thinks to himself, he, he thinks to himself, what am I gonna do in the future? What am I gonna do after I don't have this job anymore? What am I gonna do when I lose everything? How am I going to prepare for the future? And we see that he has a physical issue. His physical issue is that he looks and he sees the jobs that are available to him and he says, I'm too weak to dig. I can't do what these other people are doing. He's either too old, too fat, or a mix of both. Y'all know cream puffs? Come on, some of you guys are cream puffs. I'm a cream puff, right? A cream puff is somebody that's not able to do the physical work like they want to do, right? I would love to come help you with your house, with your projects. I'll hold the flashlight for you. I will do that all day long. You ask me to do anything else and it's gonna be real hard for you, right? This manager looks and he sees the opportunities that are in front of him and he says, when I lose my job, when I am gone, how will I prepare for the future? I can't dig. I can't go and use my hands and toil like that. He has a physiological problem. Not only that, he has a psychological problem. Notice what he says next. I'm too proud to beg. Can't do it. Not gonna do it. Notice he says in verse three, I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. His pride prevents him from asking others for help. And then his aha moment in verse four. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. His goal, his pursuit, his desire is to take care of himself. The manager's coming into the scene and we see his mental thoughts and he's going through, I can't dig, I'm not going to beg. What am I going to do? My job is over. I have no future, wait. An aha moment. I know exactly what I'll do. I know exactly how I'll take care of myself. I know exactly how I will orchestrate the events of my life so that I will be best prepared for the future. Do you see what he does? Verse five, so summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil, almost a thousand gallons of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat, three to six years of production. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. See, what's happening here in these few verses is the master, or the servant rather, is looking at the master's debts and calling people in one by one. And the manager's looking at them and saying, how much do you owe? You, you owe 1,000? Let, let's, let's cut that, let's cut that, let's cut that in half, you owe 500. How much, how much you owe? You, you owe, you owe that 100? Let's, let's cut that by 20%, you owe 80. What he's doing is he's ingratiating. He's putting himself in better standing to the master's debtors. You see, in the first century, what we don't grasp is an honor-shame culture. If somebody does something like this for you, then you will willingly welcome them into your home. Yo, you just took off half my debt. You can spend as many days in my house as you'd like. You need food, I got you. You need lodging, I got you. You need clothes, I got you. See, what he's doing is he's using dishonest means. He's swindling and wasting the master's possessions to set himself up for a future. And the craziest thing happens in verse eight. Look at the first part of verse eight. 
The master comes and the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Notice that throughout this whole parable, the only time he's referred to as dishonest is right here. Earlier in verses one through three, we see him as foolish, as squandering, as wasting the possessions of the master. And here in verse eight, after he's made these deals, after he's done as much as he can to take care of himself, to prepare for his future, what he does is called dishonest by the master. But he commends him nonetheless because he has set out to prepare for himself a future. Now at this point in the parable, if it ends right here, then we walk away going, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna steal everybody's stuff and it's gonna be great, right? Or we walk away going, okay, I don't have to have integrity. I can act like I wanna act. No, 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 that's not what Jesus is doing. Remember, he's showing us from a lesser point of view to a greater point of view. If the unjust, dishonest, unfaithful manager has enough sense to prepare for the future, to invest in the future, then how much more should kingdom disciples who have been given innumerable blessings, innumerable riches, prepare for a future that's everlasting? That's what we'll see in the worthy charge that Jesus presents before us in the following verses of our parable. Notice the second half of verse eight. The master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The parable ends there, halfway through verse eight, and then Jesus applies the parable he's just told us. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You see, what Jesus does as he applies his parables, he shows us our devotion to others, our devotion to money, and our devotion to God will show where our heart's devotion truly is. Our devotion to others, our devotion to money, and our devotion to God will reveal where your heart is aligned, what you have pledged your allegiance to. The first thing we see is our devotion to others. The latter part of verse eight and verse nine, by the way, were some of the most difficult verses of this whole parable. I don't know if you've ever read scripture and walked away going, you know, I don't really know what that says. Anybody ever do that? Am I the only, okay, there's three of us, right? We're gonna start a class and we'll just hug each other together. It'd be great, right? Right? Sometimes when we read scripture, it's important for us to ask questions. Why is Jesus putting it there? What is this saying? How does this apply? What does this mean? And here in the latter part of verse eight in the beginning of verse nine, that's one of the times where I've asked that question. I asked that question this week. And what we find is simply this. We find that kingdom disciples must be shrewd in handling ourselves and our possessions as we seek to build friendships of everlasting value. Realize that at the last part of verse eight, what Jesus is showing us is, again, he's arguing and putting before us the lesser to the greater. He's showing us that the sons of this world, those that don't belong to the kingdom, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. There's sons and daughters of light here today. The sons and daughters of light, if you've believed the gospel message, if you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, you are a son or a daughter of light. And what Jesus has just told us is that 
our counterparts in the world are far greater at investing in others than we are at times. Our counterparts in the world who have a temporal lens, who have a lens that only goes so far, a lens that ends at death, don't realize how much more we should also be investing in others, investing in relationships. Notice what Jesus says in verse nine. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. How we view others will give a great glimpse into what we are aligned to, what we're devoted to. What Jesus has just told us is that the resources we've been given, the resources we've been given, by the way, aren't ours. Somebody had the money that you have before you had it. Somebody will have the money after you're gone that you have right now. The resources that you have aren't yours. The gifts that you've been given to toil and strive and to, to make these resources, make this money, do these things, God has given it to you for a specific purpose and a specific reason if you're a kingdom disciple. And the reason is found in verse nine, so that we might make friends, literally build relationships with those outside of the kingdom using the resources God's given us. Because a kingdom disciple has an eternal lens. A kingdom disciple knows that life doesn't end when we die, life just begins. That we have an everlasting eternity with our maker, or we have an everlasting eternity in hell separated by him, and the motivating factor for you and I, for followers of Jesus, is to use the resources we have to invest in others and proclaim that message to them. Do you see in verse nine why? So that when it fails, when it falls away, when it dissipates, when the stock market crashes, your investments in others might reap eternal rewards. They might welcome you into eternal dwellings. Can I ask, how are you at your relationships? Do, do you view your resources as an opportunity for you to invest in those outside of the kingdom so that they might have the hope of the gospel? Are we sowing seeds of gospel truth into men and women's lives who are far from the kingdom? Or, or are we building our own kingdoms? Are we toiling and striving and gathering so that we can have a little fiefdom over here that we control? Faithful disciples devote themselves and their resources to building God's kingdom. And the first way we see that is through their interactions with others. Are we using what God's given us to build relationships with those that need the gospel? God's given us these resources for a reason, for a purpose, and they're to be leveraged for his glory and his renown, not for your kingdom. Notice that he doesn't just begin and end there. He goes on and addresses money. Notice what verses 10 through 12 say. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? The second thing we see here is simply this, is that kingdom disciples show their character through their faithfulness in the little things. 
Kingdom disciples show their character through the faithfulness and the little things. Faithfulness here, by the way, means keeping good character, keeping consequences in mind, and keeping God first and only as Lord. Faithfulness is keeping good character, keeping consequences in mind, keeping God first and only as Lord. So if that's how we define faithfulness, then it's not an issue of how much I have. It's an issue of my heart. It's an issue of my character. It's keeping consequences in mind. It's keeping Jesus first and foremost as Lord. Notice the truth bomb Jesus drops on us. Y'all ever had a truth bomb dropped on you? They feel really bad at first, and then it kind of eases up a little bit, right? Here in verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. We all grasp this principle, don't we? Is that the, the crucible for us is not in the years of plenty. The crucible for us, where we're tested and tried, is in the years of need, One who is faithful in little will be proven to be faithful in much. Our character is tested and tried when we have little, not when we have much. We are forming and fashioning it after the image of our creator as a disciple of his through how we deal and interact with the little. Notice, notice though the charge that he gives us. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? We must be faithful with what we've been given. We must be faithful. Our character must be built and forged in Christ and nowhere else. Can I ask another probing question? Sometimes in our small group, we make this statement, we wanna be intentionally intrusive for the gospel's sake. That means we want to dive deep into each other's lives so that we might form and fashion each other in the image of Jesus. We want to be intentionally intrusive for the gospel's sake. So this morning, can I be a little intrusive with you? How is your view of money jiving with what Jesus has put before us right now? Are you in the camp that toils and strives and gathers so that we can have comfort and success and plenty? without realizing that we are being unfaithful in what God's given us? Or are you faithful in what God's given you? Do you leverage and use the resources that he's given you to build his kingdom and not your own? Again, our nature as men and women is to build our own kingdoms. We're born in rebellion to God, seeking to build our own kingdoms, seeking to acquire as much as fast as we can. Because we're born with this idea that what we have is all that there is. And until God awakens our heart to our need for grace and shows us our sin and shows us the beauty of Jesus as our savior, that mentality will reign. And what he's putting before us here in this parable of the dishonest manager is simply this, that that doesn't have to be your mentality anymore as a kingdom disciple. You don't have to acquire and toil for your kingdom. Because remember, it is all fleeting and will fly away as fast as what you, as fast as you've gotten it. Is your view of money, of gain, the same as Jesus's? Notice though in verse 13, we see the next component, how 
we are devoted will show itself in our treatment of others, will show itself in our treatment of money, and finally it will show ourselves in our treatment of God. And we see simply this, that kingdom disciples are fully devoted to serving God, not money. Notice what verse 13 says. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I find it interesting that nowhere in this parable are you and I ever referred to as masters. Isn't that great? Isn't that just a, a relief for you? That at best, we're good servants. At worst, we're wicked, despicable, horrible servants. But none of us are masters. I think a lie that we buy into oftentimes is we are the master. We are the one that makes the decisions. We are the one that rules. And what God's put before us, what Jesus has just said to us, is that you are a servant and you will serve something. Paul says in Romans that you'll either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Jesus says in Luke 16 that you're either gonna be a servant of God or a servant of money. You can't serve both. You can't serve both. Again, the, the question isn't necessarily about how much money you make. Money is amoral, right? It's, it's not about money. Money's not evil. It's, that's not it at all. It's, it's our character that's built around it. It's how we use it. It's how we view it. Are we using it for God's kingdom or our kingdom? And here in verse 13, the question is a question of allegiance. It's a question of allegiance, Am I going to be a servant of God or a servant of money? And the lie that we so often believe is that we can be both. Isn't that crazy? I think it's strange how much we demand devotion in our lives. Strange in, in some regard, like my wife expects me to be devoted to her, rightly so. My job expects me to be devoted to it, to show up on time, to do the things that I'm supposed to do. You expect me to be devoted to preaching God's word. And, and so often we demand devotion in our lives and we expect it. But yet in our relationship with God, it's one of those areas that we really can easily push it aside. Hear me, faithful disciples devote themselves and their resources to building God's kingdom. Your devotion is what's in question. Your allegiance is what's in question. What are you orienting and focusing your heart upon? Is it God? Is it money? Is it God and his kingdom? Or you and your kingdom? By the way, the ones that are guilty of this aren't just those that have full-time jobs. High schoolers are guilty of this. Kids are guilty of this. Husbands, wives are guilty of this. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, we're all guilty. Where is your devotion? Kingdom disciples are fully devoted. Degoted. That's not a word. It could be. Are fully devoted to serving God, not money. Now, as we've seen in all our other parables, no parable is complete without a really a showing of the Pharisees. So here the Pharisees are gonna show up and they're gonna give us this dishonorable response. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 14 is the complete antithesis of what he's just declared we should be as kingdom disciples. Notice how he characterizes the Pharisees in verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, can we just pause and say that should never be a description of us? Like if we're kingdom disciples, man, like if we've committed, if we're followers of Jesus, if we are committed to learning from him and being transformed by him, then the descriptor of you and I should never be Tyler, that lover of money. Never should that be said. 
It should be Tyler, the devoted follower of Jesus. Notice, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Nothing changes for them. And he, Jesus, said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The Pharisees don't ever change. They had hardened their hearts earlier in Luke 15. In Luke 14, they were prideful. They snubbed their noses at what Jesus has said. And here they ridicule, they mock what he said. And I love how Jesus responds to them. He says, you love what other people think of you. You absolutely love it. In fact, you love it so much that that's your identity. That's who you are. But here's the reality. What matters is the matter of the heart. And guess who sees your heart? God. And your heart is abomination to him. It is far from him. See, the Pharisees are in a position that we've all been in. Some of us still are. The Pharisees are in the position of having a heart that's hardened and far from God, born into sin, fractured in our relationship with our creator. They have yet to see, understand, and realize that there's something much greater through Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's men and there's women here today that have also yet to see that there's something much greater. That God who has wholly created you after his image, but sin fractured that relationship. Remember, we're born in rebellion against him. We're born building our own kingdoms. But God in his love sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for your sin so that through faith in him, you might not be like the Pharisees. Rather, you would be a son or daughter of light. That opportunity is available to you today to come and repent and follow Jesus, to stop building your kingdom and start investing in building his. The Pharisees give this dishonorable response and then Jesus responds to them and affirms for them the authority of God's word. Notice verse 17. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than, than for one dot of the law to become void. God's word will remain forever. Do you know why? Because he spoke it. I mean, it's super simple. Like he said it, and he is the one that determines everything. I go to God's word for my life and my direction and what he has to say. We see this dishonorable response and it leads us to ask our final question. And our final question is this. What am I devoting myself and my resources to? Remember, it's not about how much money you make. It's not about how many friends you have, that's not it at all. It's a question of your heart. It's the allegiance of your heart. Are you devoting yourself to others, money, and to God in a manner that is honoring to Jesus? Are you building his kingdom or are you building your own? And there are many kingdom builders in here today that have chosen to pursue their own kingdoms whether that be money or prosperity or fame, whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's only one kingdom that is everlasting. And as disciples, we have an opportunity to build that kingdom. 
because we have an eternal lens that views life far differently than our counterparts in the world. What are you devoting yourself and your resources to? Are you viewing others, money, and God properly? Are you being faithful with what he's given you? Are you serving him wholeheartedly? The truth of the matter is is that I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. Only you can. And we answer that question through examining our relationships with others. We answer that question through examining how we view money. We answer that question through examining how we view God. Remember, faithful disciples devote themselves and their resources to increase God's kingdom. And this morning, I want to invite you to seek and pray and focus in on your own heart. Where are you today? Where are you today? And if you find yourself far from him, would you repent and come back? Would you repent and come back? And if you've never heard the gospel or understood it before, but today the beauty of Jesus is drawing you, then don't let a moment pass. Would you repent and come to the creator who crafted and formed you after his image? So here in a moment we're gonna sing and I would just invite you to search your heart and to honestly ask where you're devoted. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in it we find life. And Lord, I do pray for the men and the women that are here. Jesus, that you would search our hearts, that you would reveal the areas where we've built our own kingdoms. And Father, help us to repent of that, turn away from that, destroy that in pursuit of you and your kingdom. So Father, I pray that you would work in hearts today that you would work an act and a beauty of repentance today. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing this with us?